I want to, I want to welcome you. We're starting as of today our, our summer adult Sunday school program, and um, we'll be going through on, really what it is. It's a course on understanding the times. There's a book written by Dr. David Noble of that title, Understanding the Times, and in fact, Dr. Noble has uh, come to help kick this off today, which I'm extremely excited about. And uh, we'll be using his textbook as really the course, the basis of the course through the entire summer. There'll be about 12 lessons on that um, toward the end of the summer, the last uh, Sunday in August. We've invited, invited Dr. Ken Hoven to come and speak on creation. But uh, so for the summer, this is our first class of the Combined Adult Sunday School. And uh, Dr. Noble, like I said, will be presenting this to us. He is the co-founder of Summit Ministries back in 1962. He's the president of Summit Ministries right now. We've had a long affiliation with him and uh, have been very, very blessed by it. Some of the folks who attend Grace work there. Um, there's been a long fellowship with them, and uh, it is very, much, very, very much a blessing. The other thing is we usually would like, like to open in prayer in our Sunday schools. And um, in the interest of time, I want to give Dr. Noble as much time as possible. There are some things that I'd like to share with you. First off, please remember our Uganda team. They're over there. They got there safely. They're ministering, they're witnessing, and um, let's be praying for God to be doing a great work there, as he has been doing. That would be not only a blessing to the people there, but an encouragement to our own folks. Pray for Journey Mercies for them, pray for their health. Um, many of them that came back last year, it was, it was hard. It was a hard time for them in a lot of respects. Another thing is please continue to be praying for the direction of the church. We've been praying about Al Albano, perhaps doing a church plan out in Falcon. God is doing some exciting things here, and it's, it's, it's exciting to be a part of. And it's kind of dazzling to sometimes just be able to sit back and watch the hand of the Lord. Thanks, Steve. The other thing, the last thing I would challenge you is um, normally when we start Sunday schools, um, most of the teachers will take some time to share prayer requests. I'm not going to do that this morning, um, but I will share a couple things with you. I think most of you have heard that Jim McCray's father passed away Friday morning. He's gone home to be with, gone to be with the Lord, gone home with him. So if you've been praying for the McCrays, Jenny's surgery is coming up on the 14th of June. Those of you who are in a fellowship group or Sunday school class, I'm sure you're aware of things going on, be they praises, be they needs. And I just exhort you in the, in the week that comes to take one or two of those and be faithful before the Lord and just share those with the Lord and be in prayer, prayer warrior, prayer warfare. So um, with that, would you bow with me, please? Father, it, it is good to be in your house, Lord. Lord, I want to praise you for the message this morning and the message that Tim will again deliver here. Praise you, Father, for the gift that you've given him. Father, I want to thank you for this class. I want to thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to, uh, to get a godly perspective, a biblical perspective on what's going on. Lord, I thank you for people like Dave Noble who are willing to stand in the breach. Lord, that you've used mightily to counteract the lies, the deceit, the distortions that are prevalent in the media today, that are prevalent, Father, in the way our generations are being raised. And so, Father, I just pray that you bless this time, bless Dr. Noble as he shares with us. Lord, help all of us to humbly come before you, to behold your face, Lord, to hear your word. Father, to be in ourselves, willing to stand and say, Thus saith the Lord. Father, I pray for the needs of, uh, of our church fellowship. I pray for you again, a team, Lord. Do be about them. Grant them a great harvest, Lord. Keep them safe, Father. Keep them healthy, if you would. Father, I pray for your, your hand on this church fellowship, Lord, that we would be about that which is good in your sight. Father, I pray for the okay, craze. Be with them in this time. Be with Jenny, Father, with the surgery coming up on the 14th. And, Lord, we have others who are 
have needs, physical needs, financial needs, emotional needs. Lord, I just pray, Father, that we would be able to hold your hand. Lord, that we would know that you are God and that there's none other like you. And, Father, we would be utterly humble before you and would tremble before your word. Lord, that we would rejoice to be part of your fellowship and a part of your kingdom. So, Father, bless this time, and I just thank you so much, Lord God, that you have called us by the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we pray. Amen. Dr. Noble. Oh. Sunday School Offering for June is, in the bulletin, Vacation Bible School. Thanks, Steve. Good morning, everybody. I didn't think this was a Baptist church. I know it is now. They all sit in the back. We've got good seats in the front, but I know I'm scary, so that's just the way it is. Well, I've been asked to um, kick off a little bit of your summer program on worldview study, worldview analysis. And um, happy to do that, since if you really want to know the truth about it, that's what life is all about anyway. Most of you look like you're alive. We can summarize just about everything in the world. At least that's what we tell our kids. Now you can listen in, maybe you don't agree. We tell our young people over at the summit, if they understand six worldviews, they can understand the whole world, basically. Nearly everything in our earth, and we only make, you know, the earth is 75% water, so I'm not too worried about that part of it. The other 25%, six worldviews will give you nearly the whole world. And I can do that demographically. Because we already know how many claim the name of Christ, and that's using Christianity in the broadest expression, okay? The broadest expression of Christians in this world is 2.1 billion. 2.1 billion. Muslims make up how much of this present world, number-wise? 1.6 billion. So, my friends, you add 2 plus 1... 2.1 and 1.6, you are already over half the world's population with just two worldviews. That's interesting in itself because I have here a comment by Reverend, a rabbi, hey, it's even more, Rabbi Dennis Prager who argues that there are only three value systems in the whole world that are vying for your attention. There are only three value systems. I'm thinking this through, but I bet he's pretty close. Because I've come with six worldviews, he's come with three value systems, and the truth is, secular humanism, Marxist humanism, and postmodern humanism have the same value system. So out of those three basic worldviews, one world value system speaks to it. Listen to... Den uh, this is a rabbi speaking, so... Hey, I take it he's not a Christian. Is that correct? You all agree with that? Yes. 
He has, yes. He's on every day for three hours. He's worth listening to, by the way. Most Christians will agree with about 90% of what he says. I, you know what I'm saying? If you listen to him? How many, have, how many who I'm talking about? Oh, well, what, am, what am I doing here? You already know it. We're talking to the choir. Is that correct? I don't mind talking to the choir. J. Vernon McGee used to say, when the devil fell, he fell right on the choir. How many have heard of J. Vernon McGee? So you know it's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, this is a friendly audience already, right? They've given me two hours. I better get going. That's a joke, too, by the way. Don't get excited. Uh, this is a Rabbi Dennis... Prager, as I have noted on occasion, there are three value systems competing for world dominance. Islam, European secularism, and Judeo-Christian values. And that's it. Now just think about that a second. If there are only three value systems vying for the attention of the world, you don't think our young people can pick up on this? I would think they could. I'm talk See, I'm in youth ministry, even though I'm over the hill. Well, I really am the hill, but I don't let them know that. They can count to three. Even our Christian young people can count to three. And yet the truth is, we send our Christian young people off to institutions of education that destroy their faith within six months. You don't think that's true, huh? It's true. And we lose them by the millions, if you want to know the truth about it. And that's because we're not doing our job. I'm talking to parents right now, not the kids, because it's not their fault. Parents. Churches. You would think if a church knew that they had their youth in their Sunday schools for, what, 12 years? And by the time they're 18, they go to the university over here, which isn't too far from here, by the way, and in six months lose their faith. There's something wrong between here and there. That's the way I look at it anyway. Our daughter was raised in a Christian school. She was raised in a Christian home. We taught her Christian values. We taught her Christian morals. She learned that Jesus Christ is the way of salvation. Right here. Two years out of high school, she went to the University of Oregon and lost her faith and turned her back on everything she believed in. I, didn't, I don't read the whole letter at the time. How often does that happen? By the tens of thousands. And we're helpless. We're helpless. And Prager, the rabbi, not a Christian, says there are only three with value systems in the whole world. And I contend there are only six worldviews vying for the attention of our kids. Six. And I can add them up, by the way, and it comes to about six billion. How many people are on the earth? About six billion. <laughs> it all makes sense. There are six worldviews, and there are three value systems, and you've got the whole world. And we can't tell this to our young people, so they're prepared to meet those professors down here, down the block. And instead, after we raise them for 18 years, blood, sweat, tears, and dole, we lose them in six months. And that's a good deal. And I contend it's not a good deal. 
doesn't have to be. That's how important your study is that you're about to hit this summer. I hear you're going to do it for 13 weeks. Do a little worldview material here. Is that right? There are only six worldviews to keep in mind. That's all. You got it. Then you have to figure out which one's the true one. Maybe Islam's the true one. Maybe Islam. You want to go that route? Are there reasons why we don't go that route? <laughs> you better figure it out because they're coming on strong. In Germany today, my friends, the most beautiful churches in the world are Christian churches. They're empty. They're empty. The most beautiful churches in the world. You go into one of those most beautiful churches in the world. There's one person in there, the caretaker. He's been there for 50 years. He still lights a candle once a week. <laughs> no one's there. Go six blocks away and the mosque is full. We spent, what, nearly a month on the death of the Pope. Every day we were in St. Peter's, right? What you didn't hear, my friends, was two miles away from St. Peter's is a mosque that holds 300,000 Muslims. And it's full. 300. Did you hear what I just said? 300,000 Muslims. It's full, too. In France, the churches are beautiful. They're empty. The mosques are full. Now, Prager... Did you notice? I didn't give you the whole story here. Prager refers to this value system as um, European... How does he put that here? Uh, European-style secularism slash socialism. That's interesting, isn't it? That's interesting. Look at this chart a second. You all have a copy, by the way? We had enough for everyone? If you, if you don't have a copy, just raise your hand, because I brought plenty. Hopefully. Um... Look what this takes. Look what this takes to understand what's going on. On this chart, what, what Prager says is European style secularism slash socialism. On this chart is called secular humanism. By the way, I won't get into this because uh, we won't get that far today. But I have come up with at least 30 different terms for this position. I didn't even bring the... I have it in a... In a, in a, in a every time I read, I came... Oh, hey, wait a minute. This is secular humanism. But they don't want to call it that. So they call it something else. So you've got to watch that all the time. And I have 30... C.S. Lewis has a whole book out on the subject. And he doesn't even call them secular humanists. His book on abolition of man... Uh, which I strongly recommend you read, or at least have your kids read. Um, and it's a book that he says he felt it was one of his best, but no one reads it. That was C.S. himself. It's one of his best, but no one reads it. Well, because, you know, it's got a few words that are more than three and four letters. Yeah, and we don't want to tax our Christian young people, that's for sure. As long as they're playing yo-yo and pizza, we know we got them safe, right? That's a joke, but it's pretty close to the truth in many ways. But, 
if there are three value systems and there are six worldviews, I only have four on this chart. Do you see this? I only have four on this chart. The truth is we're working on the other two right now and we're going to re-edit uh, our understanding of the times. Not the big thick one, but the thinner one because we have an abridged edition of that one. And we're going to add two more worldviews. So we will literally have in one volume for our young people all six major worldviews vying for their attention. There are, I contend, six worldviews. All you do is you divide them into these ten categories. Theology, philosophy, ethics, biology, psych, social, law, politics, economics, and history. If you will do that, and you will establish your young people in those ten categories, my friends, you will at least give them a foundation to judge all the other worldviews from. And we claim to be a Christian church, isn't that right? We claim to be Christian. We claim to be followers of Christ. Is that correct? Is that what we're Okay. Okay. So this morning what we're going to see is, does Christ say anything about this? Or are these just, you know, human inventions perhaps? Is there a biblical worldview? Is there a biblical Christian worldview? And by the way, I can walk into many churches, and I have, over a long period of time. And we talk to young people all summer long at the summit. All summer long. Most of those Christian young people don't have the foggiest idea that there is such a thing as a biblical Christian worldview. So you send that group off to our wonderful universities where those professors know their worldview very well. How do they know their worldview very well? They know the Christian worldview pretty well too. I had atheists who knew Isaiah better than any Christian. He even knew it in the original language. When he quoted from Isaiah, he quoted in Hebrew. He was an atheist. You put your young people up against that, my friends, you don't think it hurts them, affects them, and all of a sudden... Just like that quote I gave you from this young gal here. And she just went to the University of Oregon and lost it. What if she had gone to Berkeley, <laughs> Yale, Harvard, Penn State, State Penn, Boulder, <laughs> Colorado Springs? You see what I'm saying? Are you all with me so far? Should we understand worldview or not? How many think we should? Then I'm done. I can go home. I'm only here to tell you it's important. You with me? I was just told Jeff to say, go over there and tell him it's important. So already you're all you all with me. Now you got 13 weeks to figure this out. Is that right? So I've done my job. Is that correct? So everything after this is just sort of frosting on the cake. Is that all right? Ah, okay. Just pulling your leg a little bit here. You don't mind, do you? I mean, some people are uptight about everything, you know. They can't have any fun. Certainly Christians shouldn't be happy people, you know. My word. If we start getting happy, we'd change the world. By the way, did you notice? Ah, this is just a footnote free of charge. Not on this subject right now, although it would come in later if we got the psychology. Time magazine. I think I brought it with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time magazine. January 17th of this year. The science of happiness. I know most of you don't take time. 
I don't read it very much myself. You know what the bottom line was on that article? Christians are the happiest people. In spite of heartache, death, disease, cancer. There's an article in there that just blow you away. This is Time Magazine. Yeah. Christians are the happiest. Hmm. That's good, isn't it? It's good. Now, we're going to do a little work here. Y'all game for a little work this morning? Y'all bring your pens and pencils and your think think tank? I've been told that when you go to church nowadays, you just leave everything, you leave that out, because that isn't why you're here. <laughs> you're not here to think. You know? Oh. <laughs> I thought Paul said in 1 Corinthians that even when you sing, you're supposed to use your mind. Isn't that what, it, isn't that what Paul says there? Yeah. Yeah. Boy, is he out of it, isn't he? Okay, you got plenty of room? Let's start. Jot down, first of all, Romans 1. Now, here's what we're going to do. Because of time, I only have an hour. Is that fair enough for everyone? I'm going to give you these passages that I think will fall in line in a total worldview analysis. Jot these down. We're not going to spend time going verse by verse or anything like that, but I'm going to, I might even read a few of them. But just take a look at this. Romans 1, 20 and following. And all I'm going to do is look at 120. From the creation of the world, his invisible attitude, uh, attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what he has made. Is there a direct relationship between a knowledge of God and his creation? You see what I'm saying? Is there a direct relationship between the knowledge of God and His creation? Well, I'll tell you what, Paul certainly thinks so. Now, it's not that we can understand everything about God through His creation, but he says there are at least two things we can understand. Two things. We can understand the power of God, and we can understand His wisdom in this whole thing. So, I think this is a good place to start. We can actually move from um, an understanding of God through His creation. I find that interesting because even though you have been told somehow that science is an enemy of of God and that science is an enemy of Christ and that science is an enemy of Christianity, my contention is if it weren't for Christianity and the Christian worldview, there'd be no modern science today. Now, I can go into that if you want and there are great books coming out on that subject. In fact, there's a new book published at Princeton uh, University uh, Press called For the Glory of God. There's a whole chapter in there that will just blow you away. Just blow you away. And the relationship of Christ, Christianity, Christian worldview, and modern science. Nearly all modern sciences that we enjoy today and nearly all modern inventions which we enjoy today were either made through a scientific, a scientific approach or an inventive approach, but at the base was Christianity. At the base was Christianity. So the fact that our young people are being told that somehow science and Christianity are hostile, no, 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 no. And it wasn't in Paul's idea either, was it? Paul said the same thing. You study uh, his creation, you're going to get some idea of the creator. Now, in philosophy, that's called the teleological argument for the existence of God and also the cosmological argument for the existence of God. So, is there a Christian philosophy? Yes, there is. 
So I'm going to show you how that thing works out. Now, the other passages that I want you to jot down that you can work on this week, but we're not going to have time to get into, put down 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18 is the great story between Elijah and Baal and Asherah. You talk about a worldview in collision. You have it with Elijah, Ahab, and Jezebel. You all agree with that? Huh? And if you haven't read that recently, read it again. Read it again. You have a clash of worldviews like you can't believe, and nearly everything in that clash is with us today. Baal worship and Asherah worship are still here. They just don't call it Baal and Asherah, although uh, my wife just put on my desk yesterday's newspaper, there was a whole article on paganism. And Manitou Springs was involved. We're interesting over there. Come over and see us sometime. Our philosophy is we know nothing and we can prove it. So you come over there and you don't have to worry about anything. Okay? And we got tea, we got pyramid power. You know, they're out in the streets and there's in those uh, um, uh, purple robes and they got little pyramids on their head. You know, and they're going mm. and they got cri- sorry and they got crystals. You know, on their eyeballs and those crystals are flashing. And you can go in their store and buy a crystal for five thousand bucks. I mean, it's neat over there. I tell our kids, come and see me first, I'll sell it to you for half the price. Because I can pick it up on the back of the summit. You know, same crystal, they're selling for 5000 And people come from New York and pay 5000 for the thing. And then they sit and squat and go, oom, oom, oom. That's for 40 minutes, too. Okay. So we have a lot of fun over there. Come over and see us. Um, but we don't have too many um, witches anymore. We had one, and then we shipped her to Colorado Springs. So you have her over here more than we got her over there, okay? So keep that in mind when you come on over. You don't have to duck too far. Now, 1 Kings 18 is a great confrontation between Elijah, Ahab, and Jezebel. At a strategic point, and you'll find the verse, it's either 20, 21, or 22 in that area. Elijah makes the case. Remember, they're up in Mount Carmel. They're up there. And Elijah looks at that crowd of Israelis and he says to them, you choose between Jehovah God who made the whole universe or these losers over here, Baal worshippers and, and, and Jezebel's little followers, the followers of Asherah. Boy, you'd think that would be an easy one to do, right? What the people say. Have you read that verse recently? It's the origin of Christian weenies. Yeah, that's where it starts. If you're looking for the origin of Christian weenies, 1 Kings 18. That's why I want you to look at it. And the people answered Elijah not a word. How's that for being a Christian weenie? I mean, you're talking big time stuff. The professor says, we all know our origin is a tapeworm. And before the tapeworm, our origin was blue, what is it? Foamy blue-green algae pond scum. Yeah, that's in your textbooks, by the way, for your kids to read. As I speak, that's right here in Colorado Springs. This is not in Harvard or Yale. That's right here. Yeah, your origin, my friend, is blue-green algae pond scum. But it's foamy, which I like. I always emphasize foamy part. Ah, so now we move from pond scum to a tapeworm to the professor. And we don't have anything to take a stand and say, Professor, <laughs> you might look like a tapeworm. But I don't think our origin 
is through the tapeworm. And here's the reason why. And so forth, so forth, so forth. You don't think our kids should have that information? Huh? You don't think they should, huh? I got a 29-page article here that was printed in Smithsonian Proceedings. The first article from an anti-Darwinian point of view in an American publication in the last 75 years. By the way, the editor got fired for printing it. How many know what I'm talking about on this? Are you keeping up on this stuff? Yeah. An editor with two PhDs, one in biochemistry, lost his job because, and that was peer-reviewed, by the way, by three other individuals. Three other PhDs in biology reviewed that article. Now, when they peer-reviewed, you don't know who wrote the article. You follow what I'm saying? There's no name on it. It's just, here's the article. Is it worthy to be printed? Three PhDs, bio, micro, uh, chemists, biologists. They said, hey, wait a minute. This is a great article. Print it. <laughs> so the editor said, well, okay. So he printed it and lost his job. But there's another side to this. A friend of his happens to be in the Bush White House. And there's someone in the... I don't even know who it is. There's someone in the Bush White House that's tickied off about this. And I've been told that the White House, uh, the White House has now called the Smithsonian because the Smithsonian gets federal money, okay? The only reason they're there is because of your tax dollars, by the way. Yeah, those of you that don't think you're foamy blue-green pond scum, you know what I'm saying? You fund this place. So there's someone in the White House that is just turning some screws. And I've been told it's getting very hot over at the Smithsonian right now. So who knows what's going to happen there? I think that is good news. Maybe the next time I'm here, I'll tell you the result. He's still fired. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to him. Maybe he'll be here at this church and tell you about it. I don't know. Wouldn't that be nice? 1 Kings 18. Great confrontation. Whose side would we have been on? You know what I'm saying? It's 850 Baal worshiper priests and Asherah priests dressed, whoo, you know, <laughs> here's little Elijah, straight out of the field. Straight out of the field. And he just takes them right on. By the way, there's something in that story I never did figure out. And when I see Elijah someday, I'm going to ask him. Jezebel scared him. And I want to know why. You know what I'm saying? Have you read that recently? She scared him. She said she would have his head on a platter for lunch. And it worried him. Why? I don't know. And you know what the guy did? He's an old man, too. He ran 75 miles. Huffing and puffing for 75 miles to get away from her. So I'm going to ask him about that and see... There must have been more to it. <laughs> Maybe she already had the platter there for him to look at. I don't know. Just scared him. But after all he went through, you wouldn't think he'd be afraid of anything, right? Okay, jot down Matthew 16. And there is Christ's famous confrontation with the Greeks and the, and the, and the Romans at Mount Hermon. Uh, and that's where Peter makes his great declaration, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. One of the early Christian declarations. And then, jot down Acts 17, and here is Paul's famous confrontation with two other groups, the Epicureans and the Stoics. Okay? What are these confrontations, my friends? You know what these confrontations are? They're worldview confrontations. That's what they are. They're worldview. 
their worldview confrontations. Elijah at Mount Carmel. Christ at Mount Hermon. Paul at Mount Mars. By the way, the Christian response and what Paul did in Acts 17 is really, is really interesting because he only used three things to counteract them. The resurrection, the creation, and judgment. Those were the big three that Paul used. But um, he scared him to death with judgment. You know what I'm saying? They thought he was a nut on resurrection. Uh, on creation, I don't know what they thought on creation. He mentions the creation. But boy, when he got to judgment, they were starting to think, whoa. Because if you're an atheist or a pantheist, you don't believe in resurrection. You don't believe in judgment. Okay? Because you deny resurrection anyway. These are all worldview conflicts. Okay, now two other passages. Put down Colossians 2, verse 1 through 8. And I'm not going to do much on this, but it's, it's, a, it's a crucial area. Colossians 2, 1 through 8. I'm just, look, look at verse 8. Be careful that no professor at UCCS takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on the thinking of Karl Marx, Charles Darwin, Nietzsche, and Freud. Based on the elemental forces of the world and not based on Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.8. <laughs> that was 2,000 years ago. Hit it right on the button. Hit it right on the button. He says, be careful that no professor at Boulder takes you captive through vain and deceitful philosophy. Based on Karl Marx. Spent a lot of time on that one, huh? And then the other one that kicks us off into gear. 2 Corinthians 10. 4 and 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. You train your young people all around this verse, my friends, and you will have young people even at Boulder, at Oregon, at Berkeley, at Harvard, okay, that aren't going to wither on the vine. And lose it all after you spend all this time with them. There, Paul says that we are to have... Boy, this doesn't even sound like it should be in the church. We are to use logic to overthrow the reasonings of those who say there is no God. How do you like that? We are to use logic. He said, in fact, uh, the Greek is overthrowing the reasonings of those who say there is, and every high thing, who say there is no God. Logic? By the way, what's the origin of that word? Logos. What's the title of Christ? Logos. John 1. Christ is the Logos of God. Correct? John 1. And we get the word logic. You mean the universe is logical? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know they got chaos theory coming out of your pores right now. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. The universe, my friends, is logical. It's rational. It was put together by wisdom and knowledge according to Romans 1. 
Proverbs 3.19. Proverbs 3.19 mentions the fact that the whole universe, the whole creation, was put together by the wisdom of God. God thought this whole thing through. By the way, you want a good study sometime? By yourself? Try to figure out how long it took God to think this whole thing through. That'll take a few, few days. From our, from our timekeeping, we don't know because this was before time was created. Time was a creation of God. Because time measures certain things, so it had to be part of the creation. Before the creation, from our point of view, billions of years. You know, the way we think. Not the way God thinks. The way God thinks, it's not past, present, future. He just... I think, because we're human... And we, ah, if he had to think everything through, that's interesting, isn't it? And was there a reason for it? I believe there was. Was there a pattern to it? I think there was. Is there design to it? I think there is. <laughs> is it an intelligent design? I think it is. <laughs> and away we go. And by the way, just for your information, the last of the world's leading atheists has just kicked over his atheism. Okay. The 20th century had four major world atheists, including Bertrand Russell. Three of them are now deceased. It's dead. One is still around. He's 82. He has just given up. His atheism. How many know what I'm talking about? His name? Tony Flew. Anthony Flew. Anthony Flew has just said, I have now, he says, I'm a man of science. I'm a man of reason. And I follow science and reason where it leads. I have now looked at the cell. How do you like this? I've looked at the cell and I've come to the conclusion that the cell could not have happened by chance. How's that for a winner? I've been saying that for years. And they thought I was a kooky bird from Manitou. Where we know nothing and we can prove it. Yeah. Yeah. And now Anthony Flew. By the way, he's a contributing editor to this nation's most influential atheist publication. Yeah. He has a textbook for your young people in philosophy that he's rewriting right now. He is rewriting it right now. You don't think this guy is at least an honest guy? I think he is. By the way, C.S. Lewis came that same route too. He claims to be a deist right now. But deism is a form of theism, by the way. It's not a form of atheism. Uh, C.S. Lewis came the same way. C.S. Lewis was an atheist. And he was a deist, he was a Christian. But now this guy's 82, so he better hurry. As some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> some of you don't, don't worry about it. You will, sooner or later. But the passage in 2 Corinthians that is important, and I want to emphasize this, and then we take off is not only does Paul say we are to use logic to overthrow the reasons of those and every high thing that says there is no God, we are to bring every idea to the obedience of Christ. This is the crucial point. Every idea 
So when some young person hears that their ancestor was a tapeworm, they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, what do you think about it? You know? My professor said today that our origins go all the way back to the tapeworm and back on to pond scum. What does Jesus say about that? Mark 10.6. Mark 10.6. From the beginning of the creation, I made you what? Male and female. Not one evolutionist can believe that. Not one atheist can believe that. Not Get this. Important. Not even a Christian theistic evolutionist can believe that. And I don't know how you're keeping up on this or not. <laughs> but we have Christian institutions of higher leaning that are now pumping evolution into the heads of our kids. But they call it theistic evolution. So now the foamy part has a little godly part to it. Okay? And one major conservative denomination is nearly flooded with that whole scheme of things. And that is turning out to be a real sore point because a lot of our summit kids go to that school. I won't mention it, but it's near um, San Diego, California. It's looking over a point at the water edge there on Loma Land Drive. But then that's just not the only one. I can take you up near another one, Grand Rapids, Michigan. I can take you up to a school up there that was even named after a reformer. Whose first name was John. And if you want to get a good evolutionistic education, you just go there. Pay about 30000 a year. So my attitude is, why not take them to Boulder? And pay 16000 a year and get the same stuff. That's my attitude, but hey, they think... Ah, you just don't understand. Now, my friends, we are to take every idea to the obedience of Christ. Do you know how many ideas we're talking about here? Not that many. I have analyzed how many key people are involved that have flooded our young people with their key ideas. Do you know how many there are? About 20. You mean we can't count the 20? <laughs> we count the 20. We can do that. There are about 20 key people. And there are about 20 key ideas. That's about it. That's about it. So what do we have? Young people. Our young people. There are six worldviews out there. There are three value systems out there, according to the rabbi. You with me so far? I think he's pretty close. There are only 20 ideas. Young people, we're going to teach you all these ideas. There are only 20 of them. And then we're going to make sure you understand the implications of those 20 ideas. And then we send them out to any place in the world. They go to the University of Moscow, as far as I'm concerned. We're not, we're not going to lose them. We're not going to lose them. That's what it boils down to. The fact that Tony Flew could leave his atheistic position because of science and reason should tell you something right there. Should tell you something right there. 
And he was the last of the major 20th century's atheists. And they're hurting in field after field, but unfortunately our Christian kids don't know that. Freud is in big trouble right now. Just, well, I'm just talking. Okay. Don't let it out of this room. Freud is in big trouble right now. Nearly all humanist psychologists are in big trouble right now. There's a brand new book out called The Road to Malpsychia, which exposes all the secular humanist psychologists. Written by a secular humanist, I think. She's not a Christian. Her name is Joyce Milton. When everything is said and done. Oh, and here's Time Magazine telling us about the happiest people in the world are Christians. Ooh. All I have done on this chart is given you the key ideas that are confronting our young people today in four areas. The two that will be coming will be postmodernism and Islam. And we're working on it as I speak. I just finished uh, Islamic economics just this last week. And we're going through the same ten categories. So here's how you do it, my friends. I, let's jot down a worldview. What is the worldview? You ready for that? Because my time is going to slip away. It's slept already. Um, jot down someplace. You got a little room there? What a worldview is? A worldview is a bundle of ideas. A worldview is a bundle of ideas in which one stick in the bundle is theological. One stick in the bundle is philosophical. One stick in the bundle is ethical. You see where I'm going on this? And then go right down the chart. In other words, to have a worldview, you have to say something about theology, philosophy, ethics, bio, psycho, social, law, polo, echo, history. If you don't say anything about them, you're not a worldview. Well, I've identified six worldviews. I've identified secular humanism, Marxist humanism, cosmic humanism, Christianity, Islam, and postmodernism. Six worldviews have something to say in all ten categories. By my definition, they're a worldview. They're a worldview. Now, if you want to know what the public educational system is saying from kindergarten through graduate school, I'll give you a hint. You'll find it in the first three. <laughs> It'll either be under secular humanism, Marxist humanism, or cosmic humanism. There is one worldview that is not allowed in the school systems in our country today. Which one is that? By the way, are you all keeping up with the Air Force Academy? Are you I mean, it's right here. In the paper today, it's going to take them six years to get rid of those evangelical rotten Christians there. That's the latest. That's the paper today. Read it. Six, it's going to take them six years to get rid of it. But it also says something else very interesting today. Ninety percent of the students at the Air Force Academy claim to be Christian. Ninety percent? By the way, who's making all this fuss? The ADL, a Jewish organization. They make up 1.8% of our population. My friends, they make up 1.8% of the population. If we gave them the Protestant chapel out there, they couldn't fill the front seat. And you know what? Most Christians wouldn't care. Right, Graham? They wouldn't care. Hey, 
I go down to the Jewish chapel. I like it down there. In fact, it's sort of quiet. And there's no one there. <laughs> it's like the churches in Germany. There's no one there. When you walk into those churches, just sit in the pew. You've got the whole thing yourself. Yeah, more fun than a human should have. Just, in the... just thinking about what this used to be when Martin Luther was around. Because he raised a stinkle. Have you all read Martin Luther's sermons? <laughs> you couldn't give those sermons today. Are you kidding? You would be run out of a... You'd be run out on a rail. Run out on a rail. So we just lose our kids and we lose the next generation. We lose the next generation. And then, oh, I wonder what's going on. Hey, I give it to you. Only one chart. What's going on right here? So it's going to be interesting. I'm watching the Air Force with it. You know, but I can't write about it because they won't print my letters to the editor. So some of you are going to have to write some letters to the editor. Let me know and I'll help you. Give you a few of mine. You can put your name on it. <laughs> I have some really great letters, by the way. But they get hammered someplace in the process. And then they print Dick and Jane. And how Dick likes Jane. And how Jane likes Dick. And how Jane runs after Jane. That gets in, okay? But that's going on as we speak. You know, and you tell me that there isn't a contrast here, a worldview someplace? Woo! And the ADL now is after the head of all of them. I don't know, they, they mentioned they want to get rid of Rosa, and they want to get rid of Wida, and Wida, or whatever his name is, and they want to get that, ah, they want to get rid of all of them. I wonder who they're going to put in their place. You know? Watch it. Because you're having it right here in your own backyard. Question. Does Christianity have something to say about theology? Just asking. I don't know. I'm just from Mars. I have no idea what's going on here. Christianity has something to say about theology. Christianity has something to say about philosophy. Logic? Huh? Logic? How about ethics? <laughs> well, you never know this one, right? That's good and evil. Right and wrong. Christianity has something to say about that? How about psych biology? Christianity has anything to say about biology? How about psychology? Psychology? What is psychology? The study of the soul. Does Christianity, have, does Christianity have something to say about the soul? You bet. Sociology, that's the family. Does Christianity have something to say about the sociology? How about law? We have anything to say about law in the scriptures? Politics? Ooh, well, we know this ain't true, right? Yeah, we avoid this like the plague. In fact, Christians know there are two things we don't discuss. <laughs> Politics and religion. We are so dumbos. The other side thinks we are dumb too. Don't kid yourself. I, if I could tell you how they talk about us, you wouldn't believe it. They know we are stupedo with a capital S. We're just afraid to say anything. We're afraid to say anything. Not me. I'm not a potted plant. And you shan't be either. After 13 weeks here, okay? Y'all get, you're going to stay for 13 weeks, right? You're going to learn the stuff if it kills you, right? Okay, that's good, that's good. After I leave, you might not want to hear any more. I don't know. Here's the big one. Does Christianity have something to say about economics? Huh? Ah, are you kidding? From Genesis to Revelation. When's the last time you heard a good sermon on Christian economics? 
Well, you go to church forever and not hear it. Unless they take an offering or something. And I had a kid at the summit tell me once he knew he was liberal because his preacher said we're going to take a liberal offering. Ah. Yeah. I swear. Yeah, he knew he was liberal. It took us two weeks to get that out of his head, okay? Does Christianity have anything to say about history? What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians? I would not have you to be ignorant of history. He wouldn't have us to be ignorant of history. My friends, those are ten major categories with ideas coming out in all different directions. And this is where we're losing our young people, in those ten categories primarily. Now we lose them in other areas, but the big, 95% of our losses are right here. They're, we're going to lose them in theology if they go to Harvard. We're going to lose them in philosophy if they go to Boulder. We're, yeah, Boulder's all right. Ethics, who knows? They can go anyplace on that one. And then go right down the line. So where are we going to lose them? We're going to lose them in one of those 10... 95% of the time we're going to lose them there. Now we do lose a few to the rock stars and, and um, you know, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. That nonsense. But this is where we're losing our kids. This is where we're losing our leadership kids. Let's put it that way. That's where we're losing our leadership kids. And then what are they getting? They're getting all of the ideas under secular humanism, Marxism, cosmic. And they get away with it. They have no competition. They won't allow one worldview in their so-called pluralistic, diverse education. Isn't that amazing? In spite of the fact that the most popular, the most dominant figure of Western culture is Jesus Christ. The most dominant. It's not even close. And he's the only figure we can't get in the classroom. And before long, at the Air Force Academy, I'm sure. It's going to be interesting to see how they get rid of him. Just watch it. Watch it carefully. How are they going to get rid of him? If 90% of the cadets out there claim some form of Christianity, how are they going to get rid of Christ? Yeah, that's going to be fun. This, just, this should be more fun than we've had around here in a long time. Yeah, I can already wait. You already get a sign and go up there in March? Huh? Jesus is Lord. How's that? Right around the campus. Jesus is Lord. What's wrong with Jesus? I like that one. What's wrong with Jesus? I mean, we, we have our kids pick a Planned Parenthood. We have our kids pick a Planned Parenthood. We have a great time doing it. Yeah. We get honked at all the time. Get a lot of fingers. But um, yeah, kids love it. They keep tabs. Finger one in our favor. Honk for us, you know. <laughs> well, we might all come here in about... I'll come here in 13 weeks and see what signs we're going to take. And we're going to go out there to the chapel and have a little fun. Yeah. See the cadets? and They'll carry the signs, too. <laughs> no, we've got to carry them for them. They, we, don't want, we, don't, we want them there. You know, we don't want to lose them. So we'll have to probably do it for them. But that's all right. Well, you might end up in jail. Well, Paul was in jail, too. I wonder how he got there. <laughs> and John lost his head. Have you all figured that out, by the way? And all he said was, Herod, you shouldn't have another woman. <laughs> You're committing adultery. That's all he said. He should have kept his mouth shut. He could have been a good evangelical in one of our churches. And no problem. He lost his head because he said something. Scare you? Well... Was I too hard on you? You all awake? It's 10.30, brother. I don't know if they're normal or not, but I don't know if I am. 
Thanks for a good time. Are you asking for a second opinion? Or? No. I know what they'll say there. They'll say he's ugly. Oh, thank you.